0: Welcome to the Confluence of Ideas, the Confluence Investment Management Podcast. Today, we present an update on the firm's 2022 outlook, which was published about two months ago, with today a fresh look at inflation, interest rates, and Fed policy, and the impact on investments. Our guest is Confluence Chief Market Strategist, Bill O'Grady. I'm Phil Adler, your moderator. Confluence also provides a written report on the same theme, complete with charts and detailed research that lend themselves more to the eye than to the ear. You can find the 2022 Outlook Update 1 report by clicking on the Current Perspectives tab on the front page of confluenceinvestment.com. Bill, before we get started on inflation, do you have any comments on the continuing crisis in Ukraine?
1: Well, thanks, Phil. The situation with the war in Ukraine remains quite fluid. We are discussing developments every day in our daily comment. And over the coming weeks, we will use the biweekly geopolitical reports for more in-depth analysis. To some extent, the report we discussed today is a bit behind the news, which is unavoidable due to publishing schedules. But there are still some elements of it worth looking at.
0: Bill, what's most surprising and troublesome to you about inflation trends that have emerged in
1: the past couple of months? Well, probably the persistence of supply chain snarls. When a system is working, it's really difficult to see its weaknesses. What we are now discovering is that we have created a global trade system that is extremely efficient and desperately lacks resilience. Despite continued snags, we do think that inflation will likely peak in the second quarter.
0: Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve has made it very clear that it will raise interest rates and take other steps to tighten policy. But major questions remain, how fast will the Fed move and by how much? The Confluence written report outlines four likely paths for Fed tightening to play out. Which would be the best outcome for the American
1: economy? Well, by far, the best outcome is number four, which is a soft landing. In that scenario, the Fed tightens just enough to dampen inflation but avoids triggering a recession. It's also very unlikely to occur. The most likely outcome is number three, which is a round of tightening that is short circuited due to deterioration of financial conditions. Although we don't discuss it in the report, the financial sanctions put in place due to war make this outcome even more likely.
0: Sorry to hear that a soft landing is unlikely. Just how likely is it based on historical comparisons?
1: Well, the simple answer is not very. Nearly all tightening cycles end up with a recession, and to some extent, avoiding a recession is mostly luck. If you look at history, there's been about three cycles that did not end up in a recession. That's with data starting in 1951.
0: Which of the four outcomes that you describe in your written report would be the worst for the U.S. economy?
1: By far, the worst outcome would be a loss of confidence in the currency that triggers a run out of long-duration treasuries. This outcome isn't likely, but if it occurs, we would likely see a recession similar to the 8182 downturn.
0: Can we expect a strong dollar policy in Washington gaining favor at the expense of trade deficit reduction to make sure that currency debasement does not occur?
1: Well, saying one wants a strong dollar and doing something to cause it are two different things. Volker, in my opinion, was successful because his actions restored faith that the U.S. would be willing to suffer austerity to support currency confidence. It is unclear, given the pol- political atmosphere and high levels of debt, if the Fed could even maintain such a policy.
0: Bill, you say a currency debasement could occur if policy is tightened too slowly. What happens if the Fed errs in the other direction, tightening policy too quickly?
1: Well, that's the outcome we're familiar with, which is a recession. The Fed tightens rates to beyond the point of yield curve inversion. Unemployment would rise, aggregate demand would fall, and the economy would experience negative real growth. Now, in your
0: written piece, you point out that the likelihood of recession increases when Fed funds exceeds the yield on 10-year Treasury notes. It looks to me like we have a
1: long way to go before this occurs. Do we? At first glance, that would seem to be the case. Given that policy rates haven't moved yet, there is a long way to a downturn. But it's important to note this is a two-variable relationship. If the 10-year yields start to fall, the spread could narrow rapidly.
0: Now we turn to the fourth possible path, and the one you think is most likely, Fed tightening, which leads to a financial crisis as opposed to a mere recession, which in turn leads to a rapid
1: easing of policy. Could you explain how this scenario might work out? Well, since 1990, the U.S. economy has become increasingly financialized, and an element of this process is the liberal use of leverage. In a low interest rate environment, leverage is tempting avenue to enhance returns. Leverage requires liquidity, which means that the financial system has become susceptible to runs when interest rates rise. So what we've seen over the past 25 years is tightening that has often triggered a financial crisis, forcing the Fed not just to end the tightening cycle, but to rapidly move to to lower rates. And since 2008, the Fed has increasingly deployed its balance sheet to stabilize markets. Until the level of debt declines, financial fragility will remain an issue and force the Fed to ride to the rescue to protect financial markets. So, in the current situation, the Fed raises rates until a financial crisis ensues. We don't know in advance where the stresses will emerge, but when they do, the Fed will likely take steps to address the stress by prematurely ending the tightening cycle. We have tended to call this whole process the Fed put, but I think it's better described as the Powell pivot.
0: Bill, which indicator do you rely on as a measure of financial stress, and what is the indicator telling us right now?
1: Well, there are numerous ones we look at. Bloomberg has a financial conditions index with just a few market variables that is calculated in real time. But I like two, the Chicago Fed's Financial Stress Index and a similar one fashioned by the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Both are calculated weekly and are broader measures of stress. The former one has a longer history, so I tend to use it more often in publications.
0: And what are these indicators telling us right now?
1: Well, so far, not a lot of stress is showing up in the system, but I would warn that since really in this century, financial stress kind of goes from zero to 60 very fast. So in other words, things look fine and then in very short order, sometimes in less than two or three weeks, uh, a crisis occurs. So uh, just because we're okay now does not mean we won't see conditions deteriorate rapidly at any point.
0: Bill, I read your reports every day on the markets, and I noticed how often the confluence analysis has referred to Fed statements lately as giving the impression of panic. Does the tone of some of these statements convince
1: you that the Fed will likely
0: overreact to current
1: inflation? Well, the reason for the impression of panic is that, in our opinion, the Fed no longer has a working model of the economy. Thus, it tends to vacillate its policy response really tied to the issue of the day. Because this basic model of the economy is lacking, policy tends to stay on course until something goes awry, leading to a rapid policy reversal.
0: Is there a danger of financial markets losing confidence in the Fed? And how might that play out?
1: Yes, and that gets us to that Dreaded scenario number two, where long-duration yields rapidly rise. We note that this is likely going to be a second-order effect in this scenario. In other words, the Fed would be trying to protect financial markets and asset prices for rapidly rising long-term rates by fixing those long-term rates at a level they prefer. This action would likely unhinge the financial markets, leading to a rapid shift to real assets as a debasement hedge. There is a historical reference. Uh, We did see the U.S. and the Fed fix the yield curve during World War II, where the Fed effectively expanded or contracted its balance sheet to keep interest rates steady across the entire yield curve.
0: Bill, it seems to me that if we progress down the road of the last scenario we described, tightening, leading to crisis, leading to rapid easing, there would be generous opportunities for investments. Has Confluence developed plans for its investment models to withstand or benefit from these events?
1: Well, needless to say, such situations are fraught with risk. There are two methods of dealing with this condition. The first is to try to time these cycles. The other is to hold moderate positions with the idea that a portfolio won't be perfectly positioned for either poll, but we can gradually lean based on our expectations toward policy, when most of the time we do the latter. We are not tactical managers, but cyclical ones which means that we move the portfolio mostly based on the path of the business cycle. Thus, we tend to move gradually to positions.
0: Finally, as we noted at the beginning of our discussion, there is a crisis going on right now in Ukraine. Is the reality of war or the threat of growing hostilities likely to alter the Fed's trajectory on interest rates?
1: Well, it's a little early to tell. Comments from FOMC members suggest the bank is still leaning toward tightening, but we've noted that the deferred euro-dollar futures have rallied more than 20 basis points, suggesting at least one rate hike has been removed from expectations. I expect that as the ramifications of the war evolve, it will probably lead to fewer hikes. But do keep in mind the situation remains quite unstable and conditions can change rapidly.
0: Thank you, Bill. Our report today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. And this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our guest, Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. Our website is confluenceinvestment.com. You can find us on Twitter at confluenceim.